Luke 17. We're going to talk this morning about the ten lepers cleansed. Uh, this morning, As if you're tuning in, uh, we are doing a virtual service this morning. And, and if you're at home online watching, we'll talk about that a little bit more toward the end of our service. i got a couple of announcements to do. We'll save those to the end. And we'll talk a little bit more about our virtual services that are going on at this moment and the reason why we're doing this. But this morning we want to talk about Thanksgiving just a little bit, about being thankful. The title of our sermon today will be Encountering Christ. Encountering Christ. It's going to be in Luke 17, starting in verse 11. Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verse 11 says, Now it happened as he went through Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Let us pray this morning. Dear Lord, as we bow before you, God, we are so thankful for this day that you've allowed us to have. Uh, thankful for the songs that were just sung, uh, Lord, and you are a good, good Father, Lord. What, a, what an awesome Father you are. God, the way you love us and, and the way, you, God, that you just care for us, Lord, we praise you for that today. And God, may that be what drives us and as we think about having a thankful heart today about as we've encountered Jesus and, and given back what you have so, so graciously given us. Lord, we want to pray today that you would be in our service. Be with those at home online that's tuning in. I pray, God, that, uh, that they're blessed today by the reading of your word. God, we pray for those that may be just out of curiosity, may be tuning in today, God, just to, just to kind of see what's going on. Lord, we pray that you, would, um, that you would stir hearts, God, that we would have people today online listening to us. And not because we want to be heard, but, God, because we have a message that needs to be heard, and that is the message of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we want to pray today, God, that you would bless the reading of your word, the time that we have here. God, the things that we discuss, Lord, may you be glorified. May you be lifted up. May you get all the praise today, God, because it's all about you. And we, pr we just pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been preaching through the, uh, the book of Ruth now for a little while. And, and if you've been showing up in person or you've been watching online, I don't really know how long we've been going through the book of Ruth. We're in the third chapter and I know we've probably been doing it for a couple of months, easy. And we're going to continue to do that until we get to the end of the book of Ruth. But today, I felt like God prompted my heart two or three weeks back to preach this message today. And I got, I got a little history lesson here for you. I know you've read this. I know you've been taught this. I can't remember exactly what book I got this out of now. I want to say it came out of the book that I bought years ago. If you know who Toby Mac is and DC Talk, they came out with a book years ago about uh, uh, America and how it was founded and the, 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 our forefathers and what they stood for, things of that nature. And so I'm pretty sure this is where I got this from. But it, it starts off by saying the origin of Thanksgiving. 
And it says, it seems fewer and fewer Americans set aside the day to give thanks to God for his blessings upon us. we got Thanksgiving coming up Thursday. But you would have to admit that it's become more about gathering with families to eat meals. And, and that's great because I'll be doing the same exact thing. But in the process of gathering to, uh, to eat those meals, it should be a time of giving thanks as we gather as a family. It's become about football games. It's become about uh, hunting that morning. I might go hunting that morning myself. But it's become about so many things. But it's kind of gotten away from why Thanksgiving was even declared a holiday from the, from the get-go. And it's to give thanks back to God. They went on to say, they said, Thanksgiving Day meant something far different for our forefathers. Our history reveals that our nation was settled by those who were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They go on to say that the first permanent settlement, settlement and you remember this from elementary school, uh, in America was at Plymouth. It was settled by the pilgrims who were a group of Christian separatists that broke with the Church of England. On September 16th, 1620, it's all coming back to you now, ain't it? All this, all this history lessons in school, you're all remembering this, right? Some of you are going, no, okay, that was a long time ago. But on September 16th, 1620, they sailed from Plymouth, England to America on the Mayflower. Before they landed, they penned and signed what has come to be known as the Mayflower Compact. I should have typed up quizzes to hand out to all of you guys to take a quiz at the end of all this, see if you remember it. While still on board the ship, they set forth the fact that they wanted to establish a colony that was based on biblical principles. Their signatures acknowledge God's sovereignty and their lives and their need to obey Him. Man, that'll preach. They, see, they signed a document that declared they were establishing a new colony in the new world for the glory of God and the advancement and the advancement of the Christian faith. After the harvest of that first year, Governor William Bradford proclaimed a day of thanksgiving and prayer. The custom prevailed until Abraham Lincoln made it official and an official American holiday during the days of the Civil War. Much, and they close out by saying this, much of the secularization of America has done away with the original meaning of thanksgiving. No longer do most Americans see their existence on this soil for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. If anyone, now check this out, this is what they closed out with. They said, if anyone on earth should be given thanks to God, it is those of us who live in the United States of America. And I believe that. I believe that with all my heart, that we have so much to be thankful for today. And, that, and I, I gathered that information there and... And I brought in this, and like I say, I pulled it out of a book, and I'm pretty sure that's the book I read so much, but I'm pretty sure that's the book it came out of. I'll have the name for that, of that book tonight. If you guys want it, I, can, I, can, I should have wrote it down, but I didn't. But it, it kind of leads us to where we're at today in Luke 17, verse 11 through 19, because it talks about encountering Christ. And, and we're going to see as we go through this story here, or this, uh, this real-life account, I should say, of these ten lepers who encountered Christ, Nine or ten of them were healed, but only one stopped to give thanks. And we want to focus more on that one as we go through our sermon today. But we want to start off, first off, with point number one. We'll call it the meeting. The meeting. And we're going to see it happen here in verses 11 through 12. It says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, he being Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then notice what happens in verse 12. It says, then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. Uh, this is an incident here that Luke records. 
And this took place at the beginning of the Lord's last journey into Jerusalem. This is his last journey going into Jerusalem uh, before he would be arrested, tried, and crucified. So this is a, that's something to, to note there. But, it's, but the Bible tells us that these men kind of were together there. And it's a good chance that these men were hanging together because of their illness. You know the old saying, misery loves company? And that, these men were miserable. Because if you do any studying on leprosy, and I won't give you a, a medical explanation of leprosy today, uh, but leprosy was a very dreaded disease. There was no cure for it. There was no over in it once you got it. And it just it dismembered your body. And, and you had to be isolated from everyone else, your family, friends. And we'll look at that in just a little bit more in, in detail. But the, this common enemy of leprosy is what drew these ten men together. This is why they were together. But it says that these ten men met him. They met Jesus. So they heard he was coming, obviously. And, and they went out and they met him as he was coming through town. I don't know exactly how these men knew about Jesus. I don't know if they had heard of other people that he had healed. Because you understand, if you got leprosy, you're in a hopeless state, okay? You have lived separated from your family. There was no medical treatment for it. There was no cure. There was no uh, being, being healed from this disease. So obviously they had heard something about Jesus, and so that's why they pursued him. But the Bible says that they stood afar off. Now, I won't go read you these scriptures, and I didn't give these to Ron this morning. That's why I'm not going to read them. But if you were to go over into Leviticus 13, verses 45 through 46, or Numbers chapter 5, verses 2 through 3, you'll find that the Old Testament law required that these men stay separated from everybody. They were, uh, the Bible told them in the Old Testament law how they were to handle people that had leprosy. They were not to be amongst the other people because of them being contagious and how the disease was looked upon. But if we turn that today into a way, uh, we take number point one and, and, t and, t and bring it into a life application thing because we can, none of us has leprosy in here today, so we might be sitting here going, well, how can we relate leprosy to our Christian faith or our Christian life. How do we do that? Well, I, I think we could make a connection there if we look here because the concept of leprosy is it makes us stop thinking just for a mi minute and it should make us think about how we come into the presence of God because Hebrew 4.16 tells us this. It, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now, let me read that to you again because uh, some of y'all probably weren't paying attention. Some of you at home might have got up and went to the refrigerator and got some tea during that time. You might have missed it. I don't want you to miss this. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of what? Grace. That we may obtain what? Mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, there may be somebody that's sitting at home right now listening and going, do we have a time of need? Oh, yes, we do. I've never had leprosy, but we've had something worse than leprosy. Every one of us has, and even the people at home have. We have something worse than leprosy. And you say, Brother Vance, what in the world could be worse than leprosy? It's called sin. We all have a sin condition. Every one of us, we were born with that condition, and that separates us from God. And we're, as we look at that today, we need to note that our sin separated us from God. We're outside the camp, so to speak, as the lepers had to separate themselves and live outside of the towns and villages uh, and people amongst themselves. We were outside the camp, so to speak. We were out there. We need to come to God in order to obtain mercy and grace today. 
Because just as these men needed to be healed, I needed to be healed. You needed to be healed. If you're sitting at home and you don't know Jesus Christ today, you need an encounter with Christ. I remember, uh, and I won't give you my testimony again because I did that just a couple weeks ago, but I remember the day I got saved. And before I got saved, I was at a place in my life when I needed grace and mercy in my life because of the sin condition. Because you got to understand about sin, and in case you're listening at home and you're not saved and you're trying to understand this, because I've met people sometimes that goes, well, bro, Vance, you know, I, I hear what you're saying to me, but I'm a pretty good person. I don't have sin in my life. And I quickly ask them these questions. And, and, and this is just three simple things. I, I can establish that you're a sinner in about two seconds. And the first thing I ask them, I said, have you ever took anything that wasn't yours? And they're like, no. I'm like, you've never stolen anything in your life. No. I said, okay. Have you ever worked a job and, and maybe there was something on that job that the company had thousands of them. And if you bought it, it only took 25 cents to buy it. But that would fix something at your home. I said, we call them fringe benefits. It's called stealing, if it's not yours. Have you ever took anything like that? And they said, well, I mean, yeah, that's stealing. I said, you took something that wasn't yours. You stole it. All oh, the company's got thousands of those. Don't matter. Did you ask for permission to take it? Nope. Then you stole it. I mean, let's just be honest. That's what it is. And then the other thing I'll ask them, I said, look, you ever been disobedient to your parents? And, of course, most people go, well, who hasn't? I'm like, okay, we're just nailed off two of the Ten Commandments, okay? We just got two of them out of the way. The other thing is I'll say, uh, you ever told a lie? I'm like, thank you. There's three. You know, so I mean, we, and I say, and, and I, usually I'm talking to men, and I'll say, have you ever looked at a woman in a way that you shouldn't have looked at her? And, and usually they'll chuckle and go, I'm a man. I'm like, and that's also committing adultery in your heart. There's four. I said, so four things right there just condemned you that you are, in fact, a sinner. No matter how good you think you are, you have sin in your life. That means that you have a sin problem. I got the same, I said, that everything that you just answered yes to, I could answer yes to it myself. Uh, we're all guilty. I said, but because we're guilty, we have this issue of sin in our lives. And so we establish the fact that we all have sin. No matter how good we think we are, we have sin. And if we have sin, we need a Savior. That's what Jesus did. So we're, we're just like the leper there. We're outside the camp. We're outside of God's grace. Because, see, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, y'all hear me say this all the time, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that sin separated them from God right then. They were separated. That separation could only be restored. And listen, and so when we were born, we were born with that same nature. Nobody teaches us how to do wrong. It comes natural. It's in us, okay? But that sin nature separates us from God. Jesus Christ died on the cross to bring us back, to restore that relationship. So it's only through the blood of Christ can my relationship be restored with God that was broken. And so that's who we are. We're much like the leper. We have an issue. We're outside of the grace and mercy of God. That's why we need to come and we need to ask God, God, we need your grace and mercy to be bestowed upon our lives. And it can only come through Jesus Christ. And what's so awesome about that, if you'll go back and read in the Gospels, and we won't do it this morning for lack of time, I got six pages of notes. I got to hurry, okay? So that's why we don't have time to, 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 um, to chase too many rabbits today. But if you go back and read in the Gospel, when Jesus Christ was crucified, what did the Bible say? It says the veil was rent. In the temple, the Holy of Holies, where the thick temple of veil hung there, where only the, the 
priests could go back in there once a year. And even then, because it was the Holy of Holies, when they went in there to offer sacrifices, they had to tie a rope around their ankles so that if they went in there in a sinful condition and fell out dead, if God struck them dead because they weren't worthy to be back there because they didn't prepare their heart and life right, then people outside could drag them back out with the rope. That's for real. That's biblical. That's in there because nobody could go in there and get them. But Jesus said when he hung on the cross, God said, rip, rip that big old veil. And it was thick. I can't remember exactly how thick it was now, but it was thick. They ripped it. God ripped it in two, top to bottom. Only God could have done that. Ripped it. Right? And what he was saying is no longer do we need a priest to go on our behalf to God. Jesus Christ is the high priest. So now that's why Hebrews says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace in time of need. Jesus Christ is the high priest. That's how we get to God is through them. So we're much like the leper. We're out there. Before we got saved, we're out there. You may be at home right now not saved, and you're still out there. Well, I pray you hang with me to the end of my six pages of notes because i got good news for you. But I'll share a quick story. Um, I'll share this so you can kind of understand it if you're at home trying to figure this out. But understand, we don't deserve the grace and mercy, Okay. That's why it's called grace and mercy. You know, um, mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. Uh, grace is unmerited favor. We're, we're getting that. And so, but we get to go boldly into the throne of grace. We get to go back there, not because we deserve to or because we've done anything worthy of that, but it's because of who we know. We know Jesus. If we're saved, we know him personally. That's why we get to go back there. So to give you a story to kind of help you understand it, years ago, and some of you guys will appreciate this if you're baseball fans. But years ago, when the Braves were still playing in Turner Field, uh, I know they're not playing in Turner Field anymore. Now they play in what used to be, uh, what, SunTrust Park? Is, it, is, it, is, it that, is that what it is now? No? Anyway, I've been there, but I can't tell you what it is. But back when it was Turner Field, me and my two brother-in-laws, Christopher and Frank, we had to go up to uh, right outside of Atlanta, and we went to a youth pastor's conference. At the time, I was a youth pastor, and uh, Christopher was at his church. Frank was helping me. And so we looked and said, hey, the Braves are in town. Tonight we're going to be there. Well, we need to go up and catch a Braves game. Oh, yeah. You know, we didn't really tell our wives so much about that when we went because we knew they'd be like, that's the only reason y'all going. Well, that wasn't, you know. But, uh, but we were wanting to catch a Braves game. So here's what Frank, I think it was Frank that did it. But Frank says, hey, I know a guy that works for the organization. I graduated with him. I bet he could get us some good tickets. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know. But I'm thinking, does Frank really know this guy? You know, I was just kind of, uh, you know, I think he does. Uh, but he's told me stuff before. You know, he might be watching this. But I thought he's told me stuff before. So we get to the ball stadium there. Uh, the guy told us to get there early. And we walk up to the gate. And there's this little door. If you've ever been to Turner Field, it's probably torn down now, but uh, there was, if you walked up to one of the main gates, there was a door over there that went up into this big wall, which I did not know at the time, but there's offices in that, was in that big wall. And so I said, where, where are we supposed to go? Just go up there and tell them who we are. And Frank says, no, let me call him. So he calls him. He says, hey, man, we're outside. And about that time, that little door whoosh, opens. He goes, and so we got brought into that wall and the door closed. People are watching us like, who are you guys? I felt important all of a sudden. So we walk into this door, and the guy's leading us. He says, you guys, we got a few minutes. I'll, I'll show you around. Now, I'm a huge Braves fan, okay? I, I was a Braves supporter in the 80s when they stunk, all right? They wore them ugly blue uniforms and got beat by everybody. That was the day when Bob Horner played, Dale Murphy, uh, 
gosh, I think Pendleton was a part of that crowd. Rafael Ramirez, I could name them all probably because I was a kid and I watched it all the time. Glenn Hubbard. But I remember I've been a fan my entire life. But we walked up there and we walked in. And Ron, you'll appreciate this. We walk in there and all of a sudden he goes, Hank Aaron's office. I was standing outside of Hank Aaron's office because he worked for the, the organization. I said, is he in there? He, looked, he said, probably. I said, can I open the door? You know, he goes, no, you cannot open the door. I'm like, okay. So anyway, so they lead us around, and I'm going somewhere with this. He leads us around. He says, I got you guys some tickets sitting right behind home plate, a couple of rows up. John Smoltz was pitching that night. <clears throat> yeah, it don't get any better than that. So anyway, so he says, but we got time to kill. Are you guys hungry? I'm like, I could eat, you know. And we're, I mean, we're going in places that only VIP people get to go. We had badges hanging around our necks. I mean, we look like somebody. We go up there. He takes us into one of these big old suites. If you've ever watched the games on TV and you see those glass rooms, these suites are like $3,000 a night. I asked. That's the reason I know. So he leads us in there, and he's like, uh, he said, got Cokes, uh, beer. I'm sure you guys don't drink, but for Cokes over here, I said, no, I don't want the beer. But you got any Diet Cokes? He said, like, you know, pile of Diet Cokes. I'm like, oh, thanks, Jesus. So, and he goes, and he went over and he opened this thing, and it was chicken wings. Oh. Man, so he pulls out the chicken wings. We got chicken wings. I got Diet Cokes. I'm sitting at a little round table, and I'm looking at people out that glass that are sitting in the seats. And here's the deal. You sit in that room, and people look at you like, like you're somebody. And I, you know what? I hemmed it up. I started drinking my Diet Coke. Like I paid $3,000 to be in that booth. You know, like I was somebody. People look at me, and I'm like, you know. But here was the deal. I knew why I was in that room. I, had, I didn't have $3,000 to drop on that, and I, and I didn't deserve to be in that room. But you know why we were in that room eating chicken wings and drinking Diet Cokes and, and waving at people and them looking at us like we were somebody? It's called who I knew. It's called I knew. I knew Frank. Frank knew that guy. And that guy got us tickets and got us in one of them, one of them rooms. And I lived it up because I knew I'd never be back there again, and I won't be because I can't afford it. But right at that moment, son, I ate chicken wings and my gut was hurting, and I drank Diet Cokes. Man, it was awesome. And then we went down there and got them great seats behind home plate watching John Smoltz pitch. And I said, I got to go get me one of them big old hot dogs. Because if you go to a Braves game, you got to have the big hot dog. And Frank and Christopher's like, you, you going to eat a hot dog? I'm like, look, you can't come to a game without getting a big hot dog. You know, and so I did that. But I want you to understand something before we move on to point two. Is we are where we're at today because of who we know. We're at the table of grace. It's kind of like if you go into the Bible and you read over in Samuel. I can't remember if it's 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel. I think it's 2 Samuel where this guy named Mephibosheth, coolest name in the Bible, Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's son, who is the grandson of King Saul. Jonathan had asked his son, uh, friend David, when you become king, please have mercy upon my family. And David when he gets into the kingdom as the king, he remembers the promise and he asks his servants, he says, is there anybody in the house of Saul, of the, of the family of Jonathan, that's still living that I might show them mercy? And they said, and I love the Bible says, well, there's this one guy named Mephibosheth. He's Jonathan's son, but he's lame on his feet. They had to put that in there because they were saying, he's undesirable, sir. That's what they were more or less saying. And, and David said, go get him. Go get him. Now, we know that Mephibosheth was living way out there in the boondocks. Why? Because any time a new king come into reign, they would wipe out all the family members of the old king. So he was living in the boonies hiding. 
David brings him up there in his crippled state. And David looks at him and he says, And you will eat at my table. You will eat at my table every day as one of my sons. You know what that, that was? That was grace. Every time Mephibosheth drug himself up to that table and his crippled state and pulled himself up into that chair, he knew he didn't deserve to be there. Only because David was gracious enough to allow him a seat at his table as one of his sons is why he ate the king's food and he got to sit at the king's table every day. Man, that'll preach. Listen, church, we are where we're at today at the table of grace because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. We don't need to forget that. We need to thank him for that today. Notice point number two, and I'm moving quickly. I know I'm running out of time, but I, I gotta, we'll get through when we get through. The master, notice this. It says, and they lifted up their voices in verse 13. It says, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And then the first part of 14 says, so when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, this is probably not what they wanted to hear because they hadn't been healed at this point. They probably wanted to heal, uh, here, you were healed, and the leprosy just dried up. But Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, God often tells us things we don't want to hear. Matter of fact, John Phillips made this statement, this commentary. He said, according to the Old Testament law, a person who was cleansed of leprosy had to present himself to a priest, be thoroughly examined, and follow up this procedure by following a long, involved, and costly sacrificial ritual. You'll find that in Leviticus 14. Uh, it was no light thing for these men, Philip said, to seek out a priest and pronounce themselves to be cleansed lepers, as yet their condition remained unchanged. In their condition, it was virtually a death sentence for them to approach other people. you got to understand, there was no recorded history of anybody ever being healed from leprosy. In other words, the law says that if you're, if you're cleansed of your leprosy, you go to the priest. The priest can, is the one who deems you clean and says you can return to society. But there's no recorded history that I'm aware of that it ever it took place. And so Jesus looks at him and says, go show yourself to the priest. Well, they hadn't even been cleansed yet, so that took a lot of faith for them to do that. Basically, it was a... Well, it just took a lot of faith on their part. When Jesus told them to go to show themselves to the priest, they still had the leprosy. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us this. Remember what Paul said? For we walk by faith, not by sight. You know how much faith it would have took to have gone and shown yourself to a priest knowing you still had leprosy? How many of us would have looked and said, I ain't going to the priest. I'm still leper. I still, I still got leprosy. How many of us would have done that? It would have took a lot of faith to start moving toward that priest to not back up. How many times today, i got to ask you this, as we move this into a life applications setup today, how many times is God prompting us to get up and do ministry or to serve him in a certain way, but we won't do it until we see him lay out all the pieces in front of us? How many times does God say, hey, I want to use you in this area? We go, but God, I don't see how it's going to work. God, I, I don't know how this is going to play out. God says, just start moving in that direction, son. I'll show you. Just start moving. God, I can't do that. How many times do we miss blessings, you, you, you reckon, because we don't have the faith to take that first step? O.S. Hawkins said this before I go on to point number three. He said, before every great miraculous work of God, he moves us out where all we have is his promise. That's the truth. 
Every time God gets ready to do something miraculous in His church or in His people's lives, it always starts with all you have is a promise. That's all you have. You have the promise of God. But listen, church, we have, a, as they sung this morning, we have a good, good father who is, if he made you a promise, he'll keep it. God has never led me anywhere to back up and watch me fail. He's never done that. If, if I fail sometimes, it's because either I messed it up or somebody else did, but God never messes it up. And the promise we have today is this, and we don't need to lose sight of this promise. Hear me, if we, if we don't hang on to anything else this morning, get this. I'm saved, and Christ is coming back. If nothing else, if I don't have any other reason to praise God today, I have that reason. And you say, oh, man, you, gosh, people have been saying for years that Christ is coming back, and he hasn't come back yet. Yeah, but I got the promise of the Holy Spirit that indwells me as a down payment that he's coming back to redeem me. Again, we go back to the book of Ruth. Notice point number three, the cleansing. The cleansing. The latter half of verse 14, it says, And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. Ah, oh, miracles always follow faith and obedience. They never happen while we're standing around. We want them to. We want God to show up while we're sitting in there and doing nothing, but it never works that way. God expects us to move. God expects us to move. Exercise faith. As we're moving, as we're exercising faith, God begins to, to do His part. It's kind of like, and, and I know this is an um, I know this is an, an Easter sermon, or what I'm thinking about here, but it just popped into my head. You remember, you remember when uh, Jesus brought Lazarus back from the grave? Remember what He told the people? He walked up there. He said, "He's not dead. He's, he's just he's sleeping." You know, everybody kind of like some of the naysayers kind of chuckled, like, "He's been dead for three days." You know, he'd been dead for three days. And um, maybe it was four. I don't remember now. My, my mind's fading on me. But Jesus said, roll back the stone. Now, we read that and we go, well, why does a man, our Savior, need a stone rolled back when he can heal dead people, when he can bring dead people back to life? Why did he need him to roll the stone back? Listen, God will never do for us what we can do for ourselves. Those people needed to have enough faith to go roll that stone back. Jesus didn't need the stone rolled back, okay? He could, he could have walked up there and just touched it, and it could have rolled. He could have said, move, and it would have moved. He was God. But he wanted them to have enough faith to go roll that stone back. What if he have said, go roll the stone back. He's alive. And they'd have said, Psh, that guy's lost his mind. And we say, but that didn't happen. But that's how we live our lives sometimes as Christians. God's prompting us to do the same thing. God's wanting to do the same kind of miracles in our life. That, he, that he's done in the Bible. But too many times when he prompts our lives to move or prompts our hearts to move and have faith and follow him, oftentimes we sit back and go, I don't make any sense, Lord. God, I can't see how this is going to play out. God, I don't have the resources to pull that off. Lord, there's no way that's going to work. And when we have that attitude, God doesn't do the work that he wants to do. We have to exercise faith just like these, these, uh, these ten men here did. And you understand, Jesus could have raised his hand and just healed these men. We need to understand that. But that would have been too easy. They had to exercise faith. In order to get the blessing, faith has to be applied. Same is true of us today. They had to start moving in the direction of the temple. But this is how God wants us to live our lives as well. He wants us to live our lives in such a way that we exercise faith every day. 
We just need to start moving in the direction that he's telling us to. Thing is, truth be known, and, and, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning, because um, I know y'all are probably not guilty of any of this, but I want to see God do some big works in my life. I want to see God show up in a big way. I want to see God show up in Waynesville in a big way. I, I, want to see, I want to see hundreds come to know the Lord over the next couple of years in Waynesville. And you may say, good night. You have, you have uh, some big dreams. No, I serve a big God. And I know he's in the saving business and he wants to see people saved. I, I just I believe that. But here's where I am also struggle sometimes is I want to see God do something really big from the comfort of my pew. And it never works that way. We want to sit comfortably inside our air-conditioned building, on our chairs or our pews, whatever it is that you have, and we want to see God do some miraculous things as long as it don't require any faith from us. That's where we're at as people. And again, I'm preaching to myself this morning. I'm not preaching to you. If it fits, apply it. But I oftentimes sit back and go, God, I'll pray, do a mighty work, God, and God's going, but I want to use you to do it. That means you've got to get up. You've got to exercise some faith. You've got to start moving uh, toward me. You've got to start knocking on some doors. You've got to start inviting people to church. It's not going to fall out of the sky and hit them on the head. Does God need us? No. But he wants to use us. There's no better person to tell a, a lost person about the salvation of Jesus Christ than somebody who was once lost himself. And I was. And you were. If you're saved today, you weren't born saved. You didn't come to the, into the world knowing Jesus Christ. He knew you, but you didn't know him until the day of your conversion when you surrendered your heart and life to him. And he wants you to go and tell somebody else. I'll give you a fine example this morning, and I pray if these people are listening that they're not offended by what I'm about to say. I don't think they would be listening because I really don't know them. But I was on the phone this morning with my mom as I was driving over to church, and she called to, to tell me about something that I knew nothing about. And, um, but she referenced a family a husband and wife that I haven't talked to in years that live close to my mom and dad. And she said something about them going to church. I said, huh, whoa, whoa, back up? And she goes, yeah, they go to church. I said, when did that start happening? Because see, at one time, they didn't have anything to do with church. They, they didn't want you to invite them to church. They didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus at all. And I said, well, when, when did that happen? She goes, oh, that happened several years ago. You didn't know? I said, no, I haven't seen these people. She goes, yeah, they're big in the motorcycles. She said, First Baptist Blasher has a motorcycle ministry, and because they, like the, they had some friends that likes to ride, so they got invited to a ride. I said, okay. I said, I know where you're going with this. And she goes, they got saved. And she said, those same people who used to didn't want to have anything to do with God, she says, I bumped into them one day. She said, and they were bubbling. They were bubbling over. Couldn't wait to tell us what they had done and what Jesus had done in their lives. She said, they were like night and day. She said, now they're faithful in church. They ride in the motorcycle ministries. And, and, and so I'll be honest with you, I'm around the church this morning. I'm going, that is awesome. I don't even really know these people, but I knew they I know they got a soul and I don't want to see them die and go to hell. So here's what I'm saying, church, is God uses us so many times, just like the people of this motorcycle ministry that I'm talking about. God uses us sometimes to get people to get involved with what's going on. I can't save anybody, and you can't either. But if we can expose them to God, God will do the rest. We just, it's, our, it's my job to expose them, not to save them. I don't have that authority. I don't have that power. But we need to be praying and looking, God, 
where do you want us to plug in ministry-wise? How do you want us to be more vocal and more bold and have more faith than you? Because listen, when we don't have faith to start following God, what we're really saying is, God, I don't think you can do what you say you can do. That's what we're saying. Listen, we serve a big God church. God's not going to work from the comfort of our pews. We have got to be willing to exercise some faith. You'll be encouraged to know that I'm at my last point. Notice point number four. Let's look at the Samaritan here now. Now, ten of them are there. Ten start moving toward the temple, to where the priests were at. It says in verse 15, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God. I get chills every time I read that. But can you imagine what he must have been doing? You know, if, if they're... In my mind, maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading something into this that's not there. But when they were told to go and they turned and they went, I could almost see them exercising faith in Jesus. And I don't see them kind of just strolling. I see them moving quickly, you know, because they're thinking something's going to happen. They obviously had enough faith to move. They expected something to happen. I could almost see this, this Samaritan here. He's moving along there. And you know, when you're running or you're trotting, you know, all of a sudden you, you glance down and you see your hands. That's what I imagine happened. This guy's moving quickly and somehow he, he looks at his hands and his hands all of a sudden aren't, aren't crippled with the leprosy anymore. He probably starts feeling his face. Maybe, maybe slides his sleeve up and, and, and realizes, my sores, are, they're drying up. They're gone. And all of a sudden he's like, I'm healed. And that would have been an exciting moment for all of them because why? If they had leprosy, they had been isolated from their families. They probably hadn't hugged their wives in a long, long time. If they had wives, and, and they might not, may not have held their children for a long, long time. And so these nine got so excited over the miracle that happened in their lives that I, I'm not even sure they even made it to the priest. It doesn't tell us. They might have just whooped, detoured right onto the house and said, I'm going to see my family. I haven't seen them in months and years. But this one guy, this Samaritan, he stops and he goes, I'm healed. And it says that he turns. It says he returned and with a loud voice, he glorified God. Verse 16 says he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. Now, one man came back, a Samaritan. The rest of them would have been Jews. But this one guy was a Samaritan. Again, you need to understand, those nine men wouldn't have normally had anything to do with that one. But misery loves company. They all had that one thing in common. They were all plagued with the disease of leprosy. That's what made them group together because they probably needed each other. But under any other circumstances, those, those Jewish guys wouldn't have had anything to do with that Samaritan guy because, again, talk about what we're talking about. It was a Samaritan was a Jew, was from the background of a Jew marrying Gentiles. And Gentiles was anybody that wasn't Jews, and so they were considered mixed. They were, they were considered uh, unclean to the Jewish people. So they wouldn't have had anything to do with him under circumstances. But this guy comes back, it says he returned. It says he glorified God with a loud voice. In other words, what we get the idea of, he didn't give a, a rip of what anybody else thought about him. He didn't go like, hey, Jesus, thank you. I mean, he's a Samaritan going, woo! 
Woo! Thank you, Jesus. I'm healed. I'm not lost anymore. I, I'm not. I, I'm, my faith has made me whole. As he tells me in a few minutes, he, he says, I don't have leprosy anymore. And I, I can see him jumping up and down going, thank you, Lord. Thank I mean, he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And church, listen to me. We've been healed of something greater than leprosy. I've been healed of my sins, and I'm on my way to glory, and yet you couldn't get a word out of me most days when I'm around lost people. Why? Because, well, I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want people to talk about me or make fun of me. Listen, we need to get like this Samaritan and not care what anybody else thinks about us. We got the best news in the world. Mercy Me sings a song. It's not good news. It's the greatest news ever. I probably got this word wrong. But something like that. It, the gospel, gospel, that word gospel means good news. In the Greek, that's what it means. But it's not just good news. It's great news. I went from dead to life. This guy went from leprosy to being healed. But listen, I know how to see somebody come to know Jesus Christ. I need to be spreading that word. We need to be like this guy. We need to glorify God with a loud voice. And not only that, he come and it says that he humbled himself. He humbled himself down at the feet of Jesus and he worshipped him. But he didn't just give him worship, he gave him thanks. And you got to understand, he was an outcast. He was a Samaritan. Hey, here's, here's the catcher. You got to get this. This is the catcher. The guy turns, before he comes back, he turns with the other nine and he starts heading to the priest. You've got to understand that if he'd have went all the way to the priest, the priest would have never considered him clean. See, before he, whether he had leprosy or not, the priest would have looked at him and said, you're a Samaritan. They already considered him unclean. They wouldn't have given him the time of day, leprosy or not. They wouldn't have given, any, given him any thought whatsoever. The, he was an outcast because of his leprosy. He was an outcast because he was a Samaritan. The priest wouldn't even have entertained a conversation with this man. If you don't believe me, read back through the Bible. It's in there. But who's the one, pers one person who welcomed him? Jesus. He's the one person that welcomed him. That's good stuff. And the reason that's good stuff is because you may be at home tonight, or, or it's not tonight yet, this morning. I'm trying to make it later than it is. You may be at home this morning, and you may feel like you are, you are nobody. You're an outcast. That you, you're outside the, uh, the love of a lot of people, a lot of situations. But listen, there's a God that loves you. There's a God that loves you regardless of what anybody else thinks about you. And understand, if you're not saved today and you are lost in your sins and your trespasses, yes, you're, 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 out, you're out there, so to speak. You're not a part of the family of God. But one prayer of asking God to forgive you of your sins and to save you, the Bible says in Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you can be saved. Paul wrote that in Romans. And, and, and that's all you've got to do is admit that you're a sinner, Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Confess Him as Lord and Savior of your life. And you can be adopted into God's family. You will no longer be outside. And I will spare the church of reading Ephesians chapter 2 again today. Because I've read it to you all a hundred times. But again, if you don't believe me and you're at home, go read Ephesians chapter 2. It will tell you what I'm talking about. Paul says we were once, a, once far off, but we were brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we put our faith and trust in Him. So today, if you're at home, listen to me. Well, at home, if you're sitting in here and you need, well, it ain't if you need, you do need a relationship with Jesus Christ. God loves you and wants to save you right where you're at. You just have to put your faith and trust in Him.
I believe you're listening to this message today for a reason. Because God wanted to instill in you how much He loves you and how valuable you are. But before we address that anymore, I want to close with this thought. Jesus made this statement. He says, or asked this question, He says, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are there nine? Where's the other nine at? He said, Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Oh, he wasn't just cleansed of... Uh, I don't believe that guy was just cleansed of leprosy that day. I believe he was cleansed of his sin sickness as well, his sin disease. But church, if we're not careful today, we'll be like the other nine. Because see, here, here's what we're bad at. We're bad at praying to God that God would do some great miraculous things in our lives. And, 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 uh, and he does all the time. And... I shared with Brother Kelly this morning and Brother Ron, but Brother Wally called me yesterday, and, and he and I talked on the phone for just a moment. And, and I said, uh, Brother Wally, how you doing? He goes, I'm doing good. He goes, how about you? And I told him, I said, better than we deserve. And we got to talking about that just for a moment. And, but, you know, I got off the phone with him, and I, that little conversation, though, triggered some thoughts in my mind as I thought, you know, God, you're always good to us. And things don't always turn out the way I want them to, but you're always good to us. There are so many blessings that I have in my life that I fail to stop sometimes and say, God, thank you. Thank you. God has done a lot of things in my life that I take for granted. We ought not take the blessings of God for granted. He deserves our praise today. He, is, he deserves our thanks. And you know what? I believe just like I like to hear my children come back to me sometimes and say, Daddy, thank you. Thank you for doing that. I know you didn't have to, but I, thank you. Man, that makes me feel good. Makes me know that they appreciated it. I think God likes to hear us say thank you from, uh, from time to time too. More like every day. We need to do that because we are blessed every day by God. Now, we're getting ready to close. And since we're not doing a live service up here right now, there won't be any invitation. So what we'll do is I'm just going to close in a way um, that I deem necessary. i got a couple announcements at the end that I will share with you when we get through praying. But here's what I want to do. I... I felt prompted to do this this morning when I was sitting on the front row. And this, this may sound goofy. I don't know who's at home watching this online. I have no idea. Um, I know it gets watched from time to time. I know people are viewing it live right now. There'll be people checking into it later probably that watches it after, after the fact. But if there's somebody watching right now that's lost, or, or maybe somebody's going to watch it later that's lost, I'm talking to you right now, okay? Uh, I have a hard time staring at that camera, but I'm talking to you. But I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask everybody in here to bow their heads right now. Just bow your heads, and we're going to pray. I want you guys here in this church to pray for those that are watching online. But if you're at home online and you're listening, I want you to know today that Jesus loves you, and he wants to save you. All you got to do is cry out to God. I'm going to lead you in a sinner's prayer. This sinner's prayer is not magical. It's not, it's not even... Uh, you won't find this sinner's prayer in the Bible. But I'm, I'm talking to that person today that may be sitting at home and, and God's stirring your heart right now about salvation. And you know, if God's dealing with your heart, you know. You know He's dealing with you. I can't explain what that's like. All I know is when God deals with my heart, I know what it's like. I can't explain it, but I know it's Him. And if He's dealing with your heart right now, you know. You know it's you. And so I'm going to ask that you bow your head and you would pray along with me 
this sinner's prayer, and it goes like this. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and that I can't save myself. The Bible says that if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then I can be saved. Dear Lord, I claim that promise right now. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to come into my heart and life, and to save me. God, I thank you for saving me. If you're at home right now and you prayed that sinner's prayer, I'm, I'm on, I, you may be in Germany. I, I don't know how many people watches this and where you're from, but no matter where you're from this morning, if you prayed that prayer and you invited Jesus Christ to come into your heart, uh, I'd ask you to go on this website, uh, whatever, wherever you're, you're watching it, and make a comment on there that you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ just for the simple reason that I want to celebrate with you. That's the only reason. You're under no obligation to me. You're under no obligation to the church. I just want to praise God with you. So if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask that you do that. But I want to pray for us right now, and this will dismiss us in our service. Father God, again, Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your word. Thankful, Lord, for what you've done in our lives, God. We're thankful that uh, just like these lepers, God, we were once on the outside. We were, we were sin sick in our condition, God. We were outcasts. Lord, we were out there. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross through the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross, God, and because I put my faith and trust in you, Lord, I was brought into the family of God. God, I've been adopted into your family. I'm one of your children. I have an inheritance waiting for me. God, this is no longer my home. My home is in heaven. And God, you have given me the Holy Spirit as a promise of your return. God, your word tells us that you're coming back. And God, we don't know when that day is going to be. But we do know that we are anticipating your return at any moment. God, may we as Christians live our lives in such a way that we expect you to return today. And God, nothing would make my heart more joyful than to be in your presence today. Oh, to lay all of this down, God, in the church, to be reunited with you, God, and we would be up there at the, the, uh, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. God, what an awesome time. But God, much like Paul, I kind of feel torn. Lord, as much as I want to be in your presence and as much as I want the church to be there, Lord, looking for the rapture. Lord, much like Paul as he wrote to the church there, that he was torn to be with God or to stay here. Not that this world was more glamorous than being with you, but God, he knew there was work to be done and he knew that there were people that needed to be saved. And God, that's how I feel this morning. Although I want to be in your presence and God, I want to be in heaven with you, I also know that there's ministry to be done. And Lord, when you come back, I want as many people to go with you as possible. And Lord, that's only going to happen if we live for you now. So God, today as our hearts long to be with you, God, may our hearts also break for those that are lost. God, may our hearts be troubled today with the fact that people need Jesus in the community of Waynesville. Lord, help us to be diligent about your work. God, to minister for you while we have the time to minister because God, we know the time's going to come when there will be no more time as a church to do ministry. We'll be gone. Lord, help us not to squander our days. Lord, help us to be thankful for what you're doing and what you're going to do. 
And Lord, we're just thankful again this morning, God, for the time that we've had together. Thankful for your word, Lord, and how you spoken to my heart and life this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.